Amen. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to be turning it to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 will be there in just a moment. Uh, as Willie mentioned in our welcome a few moments ago, uh, I do hope that you'll make plans uh, if you're in town to be with us uh, next week for our scripture and song service. I've come to look forward to the service. We've done it a few times now and, and very much looking forward to it next week. Uh, also, uh, as Willie mentioned, um, I did see Tom and Becca Savage and family come in. Um, sorry for the occasion that you had to come in, but we're grateful that you're here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they've been serving in Rwanda, Africa for the past four months. Uh, had to make an emergency trip home due to the passing of uh, Becca's father. Uh, so uh, just love on them today and, and let them know just how grateful you are to see them here in person. Um, and I know that we'll continue to be praying for them as they make their way uh, back to Rwanda when that time comes. Um, I wanted to let you know that in the foyer today when you came in, uh, if you're looking for those uh, last minute stocking stuffers uh, you saw on the screen a moment ago, uh, the Homewood cookbooks uh, that will have uh, plenty of recipes for you to, to use. And I, I hope you'll make your way over there to that table uh, on this side of the foyer, but on the other side of the foyer, uh, as many of you know, we've been cleaning out our offices because the flooring is being replaced in our offices this week, and uh, I cleaned out uh, several of my books, and so there's a, a table full of, of my books out there, and I'm selling those for $5 a piece. All of those proceeds will go to, to missions, and so if you need a, a few last-minute gifts, just go out there and make yourself available to those. Uh, there are some things that I have come to realize in my 40s that quite frankly were not much of concern to me prior to my 40s. For instance, it's quite possible to injure oneself in your sleep. Uh, two years ago, I tore my rotator cuff in my sleep. Didn't know you could do that. Now I know you could do that. Uh, number two, I now understand suspenders. Uh, I don't use them, I'm just saying I now understand them. Um, number three, on a little more serious note, uh, marriage is hard work. Anyone who says I just got lucky is lying. A healthy marriage is a marriage that is put in the work. Uh, in similar fashion, parenting is hard work. And you better be willing to learn on the job because every child is different. And after 12 years of parenting, we are still learning. And then fifthly, if, if Harding University can win a football national championship for the first time in school history, then surely my Lipscomb Bisons can make it back to the NCAA tournament this year. Just a few things that I've learned in my 40s that I did not have much concern for prior to my 40s. Uh, we've been in a short series called Christmas in Romans. Uh, we've been looking at passages in Romans that uh, really tell us something about Christ's coming. And with each passing year, I come to realize with more and more gratitude, uh, the amazing realities of the impact of Jesus' coming and how we've been invited to eagerly participate in his work here on earth while we anticipate his coming again. And the older and older that I get, the more that I am in awe of that reality. So in this final installment 
of Christmas in Romans. We return to the crown jewel of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8 through 16, Paul continues to answer a question that he began to ask in chapters 5 through 7. How does faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how does that impact our lives, our real lives, lives Monday through Saturday, every day of the week, how does it change our real lives? What does this mean for me and my health concerns? What does this mean for me when my loved one has passed away and I prayed for them not to? What does this mean for me when I lose my job and my my world gets flipped upside down? What does this mean for me when I'm overworked and it feels like I don't have one ounce of extra time, any margin in my schedule? What does this mean when school students goes awry? What does this mean for me when my faith is hanging on by this thin thread? And while it's not my intention to to answer every one of those questions today, it is my desire to allow the pages of Scripture to move us deeper into our understanding to the kind of difference that Jesus has made in our world and so that our faith can be equipped to be salt and light. So here it is, uh, four reasons, four reasons the season. Number one, Jesus came to give us a spirit. Number two, Jesus came to give us a family. Number three, Jesus came for our good. And number four, Jesus came that we could know that God is for us. So in Romans chapter eight, here's, here's how Paul kind of launches into this chapter. He wasn't writing chapters and verses when he wrote it, but in this particular section, which uh, begins a, a bit of a shift He starts out by saying, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death, which leads us to the first reason uh, for the season. Jesus came to give us the Spirit. I love the song that we sang a moment ago. The Comforter has come. I never really know what to do when the words on the screen get bigger. I don't know if I'm supposed to sing louder or if I'm, but I'm I'm thankful for those words that the the comforter has come. In Romans 8, moving on to verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Hang on to that phrase just for a moment. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. In his new book, Into the Heart of Romans, Professor Tom Wright says this, that Paul's larger story in which God's spirit does what the Torah could not do, enabling the Messiah's people, even in the present time, to become already part of his ultimate new creation and therefore to give God real delight. Paul really does indicate that those who are living by the spirit will actually please God. How many of you uh, grew up 
with a parent, a teacher, a coach that was hard to please. Right now, there's, there's names and faces that are, are coming to your mind. But it, it seemed like nothing was ever good enough. I remember one of my basketball coaches constantly in my ear, Walters, you're slow as molasses in January. People that were, were hard to please in our lives. If we're honest, we have a tendency to transpose that hard to please mentality onto God. This is why certain Christian subcultures become anxious about the idea of pleasing God. God is the all-seeing eye just sitting up there waiting for you to mess up so he can pounce on you and say, see, I told you so. Paul says that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Paul seems to be indicating that in the spirit, the spirit who gives life, that in the spirit, God is pleased with us. In the movie Chariots of Fire, Two determined young runners trained for the 1924 Paris Olympics. Eric Little, a devout follower of Jesus, says, I believe that God made me for a purpose for China. His family, they were missionaries to China. But he goes on to say that, that he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's worth pausing to ask, what, what has God made you? What has God made you? What is it which, when you do it in the power and the joy of the Spirit, it enables you to feel God's pleasure? For some of you, you, you feel his pleasure when you serve with your, your hands. When, when you build something for someone or or when you fix something for someone, or, or, or when you prepare uh, food boxes, as Willie talked about a few moments ago, and, and you distribute those to, to the food insecure. When, when you do something with your hands, you, you are, are, are feeling God's pleasure. When you clean hospital apartments, preparing an oasis for families in need. For some, you feel his pleasure by studying and teaching the Word of God. The mental and physical energy that you expend is a blessing to this church family. And, and God is pleased when the truth of his word is passed from generation to generation. For some, you feel his pleasure when you, when you labor in prayer on behalf of others. God, may, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Wright goes on to say, might that perhaps be part of God's ultimate new creation, breaking into the present. Jesus came to give us the spirit, and the fruit of God's spirit is love. 
joy, peace, and patience and kindness. Uh, This week I, I found myself behind an older person, walking behind an older person this week. Yes, students, there are people who are older than me in this world, like Kevin. But there are even people that are older than Kevin in this world. And let's just say that they did not feel God's pleasure by running. They felt God's pleasure by shuffling. Uh, No offense to the shufflers in the room. It's one of the reasons that they love shuffleboard. It's just a game that goes alongside what they like to do. And my flesh said, let's let's roll the gospel chariot along and run right over them. (laughs) Ah, ah, but the spirit, catch this, the spirit, which produces patience, why? To lead me back to love. The most loving thing that I could do in that moment was to be patient. And by being patient, I'm what? I'm loving my neighbor who may not travel at the speed that I was desirous of. But one day will be the speed that I'm traveling at. And I hope that this group over here will exhibit the same fruit of the Spirit for me. Jesus came to give us the Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor. So pray for the Spirit. Number two, Jesus came to give us a family. How many Christmas movies can you think of that involve the theme of someone trying to get home for Christmas? I mean, it's, there's a plethora of them out there. Uh, one of the more famous ones, uh, Home Alone, when Kevin's mom is, is trying to get home to see her son for Christmas, would even join a, a van full of poker players in order, to, in order to go and get home in time. Here's a fun fact. Macaulay Culkin and I are the same age. Here's another movie. There's several others. I'll Be Home for Christmas. You remember that movie with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who was the star of Home Improvement? Here's another fun fact. Jonathan Taylor Thomas is one year younger than me. But there's others. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, friends fleeing from the abominable snow monster to return to the North Pole. We see this common theme of of getting back to, returning to, being home with family for Christmas. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In Romans 8, we are reminded that the birth of Jesus offers us the ultimate homecoming. Paul reminds us that the Spirit does not just travel with us alone. He testifies to our adoption as sons and daughters of God. We get to be called part of God's family. As we look to 2024, I want to challenge you to commit to the family of God. 
Uh, For some, it's a time to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism and to give your life to him. Uh, For others, you've made that decision, but you have allowed life to happen and and you've strayed from the church and you've been hesitant to to come home. I want you to know that I I prayed for you specifically uh, last night. That 2024 will be the year of recommitment for you. That the Christian life is is not a life that is free from from suffering. It's not a life that is free from from pain. Paul acknowledges that even in this verse. But as we remember who we are to God and, and we support and encourage each other within our faith family, we are much better equipped to face the challenges of life. I don't know how people do it without a church family. If I had a a dime for every time one of you have told me that. And you you tell me that because it's true. And it doesn't mean that that there are not those who have been hurt or affected in negative ways by the church. Maybe that's some of your story. But we are reminded that it's no surprise to us because, because Jesus came to give us a family, we are also reminded that the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And, and the word says that, that the enemy prowls around like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The word also says to, to submit yourself to God, to resist the devil, and that he will will flee from us. And so even though the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, and some of us have been robbed in heinous ways, we are reminded that Jesus came for our good. In Romans 8 and 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We said a few months ago in our Roman series that this is a verse that we have to be careful with, that it's a verse that's been misquoted time and time and time again. And we asked the question, I mean, how, how can we believe in an all-powerful and an all-loving God in the face of the terrible evil and suffering that happens in this world? And if you you start off with a picture of God as the great celestial CEO or even the heavenly puppet master pulling the strings to make things happen, then of course you're going to have problems. But as Tom Wright goes on to say, if you start with the God who grieves over the pain of the world and the failings of his own people, The God who in the end reveals himself in and as the crucified Messiah. The God who then sends the spirit into the hearts of his people so that God himself may, in and through his people, stand at the heart of the pain of the world so that the world may be healed. Why then? The whole question looks very different. Our difficulties in this life are are undeniably hard. not going to ever stand up here and try to convince you otherwise. Only God can take our experiences, though, and, and weave them together to begin the process of conforming us to be more like his son. No, it doesn't make those experiences 
easier necessarily, nor does it lessen how genuinely hard times can be. Yet the miracle of Christmas is that Jesus understands. And Jesus doesn't just understand, he has the power over all things. And so we can trust that even in those hard moments, he won't let go. He won't abandon us. God works. He's the subject of the verb in Romans 8, 28. By his grace, he works because he loves us. And so the fourth reason for the season that Jesus came that we could know God is for us. And in the middle of your darkest hour, that in the, the middle of your health crisis, in the middle of your financial crisis, in the middle of your identity crisis, in the middle of a marriage that's coming unraveled, in the middle of worrying about a child who has become so distant, in the middle of wondering how you're going to make it without a loved one, in the middle of hitting rock bottom in life. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who raised, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's quoting Psalm 44, a psalm of lament. Verse 37, no, in, in all these things we are, are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. One author says Paul knows that Christians can sometimes fail to be deeply moved by the love of God. So he, he puts the rhetorical metal to the homiletical pedal, to convince Christians of the love of Christ for them. He wants us to know that Jesus not only defends us, he also loves us. He enters a relationship with us and nothing can separate us from him. Church, I'm not, I'm not here today to tell you these phrases. Phrases are going to magically make things fixed in your life. As human beings, we're often much more complex than that. But what I am telling you is that there's nothing you can do to make Christ love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make Christ love you any less. Others at school may think that you don't have any value. People at work may not appreciate you. You may even feel like you're not known within the walls of this church building, but the creator of the universe knit you together. He bought you with the blood of his son to rescue you and he put his Holy Spirit 
inside of you? Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Christian, do you actually think that your opinion of you is more important than God's opinion of you? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us and transforming us each a little more as the days go by to be more like the Son. Father, thank you for calling us your sons and daughters. Thank you for making us heirs of the promise that you have given. God, when we feel alone, Please remind us of these promises. I thank you for working for our good. Thank you for the good news of your son. God, we long for his coming again. When your dwelling place will be among your people. When you wipe away every tear. When there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. When the old order of things has passed, may we not just wait in anticipation, but may we become active participants as kingdom devoted disciples. In Jesus' good name, the church said, Amen. Amen.